Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Seminar Presents. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan, and we are going to talk about a movie that was made in the 90s. It's called Money Talks. Dylan, what language does money speak? Ooh, I think it speaks to everyone. Universal think, yeah. language, isn't it? Yep, it's a universal language. And uh, you can thank Brett Ratner for making this movie. I refuse. <laughs> Before we talk money, you want to talk some other flicks? What have you been watching? Yes, let's see. I've watched a few new ones. Right on. I went to the theaters and saw Spiral. Oh, the from the Book of Saw? From the Book of Saw. Um, Could have been better. <laughs> I like what they're doing with it, but it wasn't great. It, I think it's because they brought back Darren Lynn Bowsman or Bozeman, who made like two or three Saw movies already. And okay. his aren't the greatest of them. And I don't know. They need to bring in like a fresh pair of eyes, like someone new. Stop fucking bringing back all these old directors. Fair. Or like, actually, was it? It's James Wan, right? Who did the first one? He did the first one, yes. Yeah, or get James Wan back in the mix and, and pay him I his think, money. I think he's moved past Saw. I mean, that's the story of it, right? Is that he put his house on the line so he could launch his career and good yeah. for him. Yep. Um, let's see, what else did I watch? But it's still, like, it's worth a watch. It wasn't perfect, though. I definitely um, will catch up with it. I, it's not going to be released here for a little while, so it'll be some time before I get a chance to see it. But I was... I read a headline that I had to read three times to figure out what was actually being communicated to me. But the series as a whole has made a billion dollars worldwide box office. That makes sense. Yeah, but the way that the headline read was Spiral makes a billion dollars. And I was like, what? That can't be true. <laughs> That's not right. No. <laughs> but you know uh, what? Good on them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the second one I watched was, uh, it's called North Hollywood. There's this skate company that I followed for a while called Illegal Civilization. They just go by Illegal Civ. And a lot of the kids that skate under that uh, skate company are in mid-90s. Okay, oh, right on. Like the, uh, I got, I'm going to lose the guy's name, of course, but the dude with the long hair who was like an excellent skater <laughs> is the one yeah. that's coming uh, on. Nikel Smith. That's and, right. Um, well, you're the one with the long hair is Olin, uh, Olin Prenat. He's actually okay. not in North Hollywood, but he is under illegal civ. Uh, but like, uh, there's the main star is fourth grade in mid 90s, the one with right the on. video camera. Yeah, yeah. And the writer and director is Mikey Alfred, who started illegal civ, who's like a 25 year old kid who just loves skateboarding, loves movies, hmm. and he started this very low rent, low budget skateboard company and has kind of made a name for himself and he got money to make his first movie and he got fucking Vince Vaughn. He got Blake Anderson. He got, uh, uh, I'm blanking on some of the other big names in it, but like just put all his friends in a couple big stars and it has the same vibe of mid nineties. It's not as good as mid nineties, but it's, really sweet and funny it's not per it's like a you know like a b minus it's really good to watch i have to give it a watch i i mean i responded strongly to mid 90s it, oh, um, i did hardcore i mean that's what we're doing here right yeah but yeah, <laughs> it, it spoke to some because i also not to brag but grew up way too fast and started partying way too young 
So yes. some of those right. scenes really <laughs> were evocative for me. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, like yeah, mid nineties has that tone. North Hollywood doesn't, it has like pieces of it. It's more of a lighthearted feel with like some cool, uh, like 50s music 60s music all right uh, yeah no uh, it's definitely worth a watch i want to give it another rewatch maybe i was like being a little too hard on it for this first viewing because i was kind of comparing it to mid 90s sure. even though i still thoroughly enjoyed it i think I, I need to give it another rewatch is this was jonah hill involved in any way do you think he had some sort of he doesn't even have a a, a special thanks credit in this movie huh no and i mean he might I don't oh, know. I watched through the credits. I didn't see a special thanks to him. I saw a special thanks to Bob Evans. All right. Bob <laughs> that Evans. kid stays in the picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. The kid stays in the fucking picture, man. Right on. Uh, so, yeah, recommend that one. That's right. for rent. Yeah, I'll have to give it a watch. Uh, the next one I watched was Those Who Wish Me Dead. Right on. The Angelina Jolie and uh, some other movie stars in that movie, right? Barenthal, John Barenthal. I love John Barenthal, man. I do too. He grows on me the more I watch him. I didn't really like, like the first thing I pretty much saw him in, I think where he was like a big role was Walking Dead. Yeah. I just really hated Walking Dead. I did not like it at all. And Walking Dead sucks. We can take a few minutes to just like, yeah, it's so dumb. It never found its legs. You know what I mean? There's such potential there. And then they had that thing where it was like, oh, fuck you, Frank Darabont. <laughs> and then the show just sort of devolved into this repetition of, and I, I like zombie stuff. I'm generally on board for it, but I checked out really early on that series because yep. it was just like, that's the same thing for whatever. Well, I got a zombie one coming up. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we're going to talk some zombies here. Yep. Uh, so finish the thought about John Barenthal. His, yeah. He's such a contemptible character in that first season. And he's so good at it. I really, I think he's a, a great actor. Uh, it truly is a great actor. He's good in this. The movie's not great. Okay. The CGI is not great. <laughs> uh, but like it killed an hour and 35 minutes. You know, it wasn't like I was so pissed that I'm watching this. It's just like, wow, there's so many good people in this. I feel like they would, I don't know, make a better movie. And also the whole fire like seemed pointless like i thought for some reason the fire was going to be like a natural disaster no it started by these two fucking hitmen trying to cause a distraction so they could kill this little kid whose father fucking did something and he's gonna get killed and they just start this fire it just starts out of like it's not like it's just seemed like a really dumb story point to have it did it caused a little drama because they have to outrun a fire but it just it was just like oh we're gonna start a fire to cause a distraction it just seemed lazy okay fair enough um and then the last thing i watched army of the dead yeah let's talk about it i also watched army of the dead okay um i have major problems with it my major problem with army of the dead is that it is seriously one hour too long way too oh my god dude i remember we hit an hour in uh like 15 minutes and i was like there's been one two zombie things the beginning and then when we saw the queen and the alpha thing right and i'm like 
this is dumb. I do not care about your fucking backstory for these dumb mercenary characters. Like we've seen every type of story you could tell with these mercenary characters in any other film. Just give me a fucking zombie movie. And I get it. Dave Bautista can actually act. I thoroughly believed his monologue and it was a ridiculous, cheesy monologue, but I fucking thoroughly believed Dave Bautista. He was so good, but way too long and the 95 percent of the movie has shallow depth of field did you so i my initial read on that was that it was a post cover for the tig inserts that's what my roommate was saying he thought it was for the tig inserts but i'm like dude there's legit scenes where tig's nowhere to be seen and they're right the argument there would be that if Tig is in these shots and we have to blur out the background to get her into them, <laughs> if we don't do that anywhere else, it will look jarring when Tig is on screen. Uh, it looked way too jarring to do it throughout your whole movie. That Your whole background is blurred out in every scene and your characters are at your forefront of every scene. There's just yeah. no uh, stylistic differentiation between shots they all looked the fucking same yeah i've learned since then he used a a lens that was not uh designed for films it was a still camera lens and was did he shoot it on film he i i don't know specifically he definitely used a lens that was meant for uh like a 35 still camera and was to blow out the bokeh so it's essentially like a um I don't know, like a Everlane ad. Is that even appropriate to say? I'm out of my depth here, <laughs> but <laughs> he. It, the actual answer is that he used a lens that doesn't exist anymore and was really hyped to get it on his cameras, and because he's a visionary director. And I just am like, I. That's not film vision. school, bro. Go back to film school. Yeah, dude, that's lazy filmmaking. All your shots look exactly the same. Yeah, I totally agree. I also had really limited patience for like cyborg zombies that are alluding to another property that hasn't been built yet. And I have- Yeah, so there's robot zombies? What the fuck was going on with that? And I did not care for the evolution of the zombies. I did not care for alpha zombies or pregnant zombies. Did not need that. And they're mindless creatures. And he, this alpha zombies controlling these mindless creatures. That- makes no sense i'm fine with that i you know it's it's all fiction so they can be whatever they want i'm, I'm okay with like a king i just zombie. don't rewrite zombies there's no need to rewrite the zombie world especially if you're not going to make it interesting <laughs> that's that's the real sin i think if you want to rewrite zombies go right ahead this movie would have been much more successful as just a straightforward we're trying to do a heist in a zombie world bang bang blood guts I'm on board for that. All it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. uh, And that that visionary director whose vision seems to be every movie needs to be twice as long as it needs to be. There's no need for two and a half hour zombie movie. Yeah, no, I got real, real bored through the middle of it. Dude, same. I got bored super quick in the beginning. I'm like, just give me more. Just give me zombies. That's why I'm here. Uh, Instead, we get terrible backstory from every character yeah i don't care (laughs) yeah it's yeah uh 
You know what? No, I will say it, damn it. But it, it speaks to the same thing that is the DC problem where it's like, okay, first we're gonna give you the movie where the whole team comes together and then we're gonna work backwards and give you the individual characters and how they got here as opposed to the Marvel style, which is like, here's the individual characters, let's love them and watch them team up, rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. And you're just hustling backwards. You're, I, I, Honestly, I think what would have made a better movie is if they were a mercenary team sent in to rob this safe. That's it. That's it. They're gonna right. fucking kill some zombies along the way and there's way more than they thought. And they're, but you keep the alpha zombie in there too. Fucking yeah. throw in a curveball at them. But like, there's so much talking on that base outside of the city. Like, they're just sitting there, like, well, you know, we should go in soon. <laughs> okay, honey, listen, I, I don't think you should have came on this trip with me, but you know, I really want you back. And I think we should open up an artisan grilled cheese shop. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> and the way every like dramatic moment turns, where it's like, okay, I'm not gonna. But yes, I am in one scene. I just, yeah, weak sauce all around. Yep. That's uh, pretty much all I've watched. Right on. There's well, a few other, but those are the big ones. Speaking of Batista, uh, I caught up with Hotel Artemis. Is it good? I remember when that came out. It didn't look very good. You know what? It's, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's like a great film, but Dave, as we just mentioned, Dave Batista can act his face off. And he's got scenes with Jodie Foster and Sterling K. Brown is in this movie who also has scenes with Jodie Foster. And um, oh, now the guy's name is going to escape me, but he's the, also the detective in <laughs> The Woman in the Window, which I haven't finished yet. I've been I trying to get that. That looks terrible. It's not great. I, I haven't finished it yet, so I'll, I'm not going to talk about it. But anyways, there's a, a character actor in there that I really like whose name is escaping me right now. And um, Hotel Artemis is fairly entertaining it is basically if they took the what what's the oh the continental right in john wick Mm -hmm. it's basically let's just do that part of the plot so they're hitmen in a hotel yeah there's like it's minorly future set it takes place in 2028 and there's a, a bunch of heist dudes who have to get to their safe house hotel and the hotel also has an armory and the hospital and they've got very specific rules and it's a safe zone and then mm-hmm. the safe zone kind of collapses, right? And that's it. And it's fairly entertaining. I'm not going to say it's very good, but it's, you could do much, much worse. <laughs> okay. It's like a, uh, Army of the Dead. It's a slightly better movie than Army of the Dead, okay. but it's a shorter movie than army of the dead so that automatically makes it a better movie yeah exactly (laughs) you need to do uh zach snyder on filmographies oh i don't know (laughs) i mean yeah that'd that'd be an interesting one he's got like two good movies and then the rest are just true trash (laughs) what are the two good ones for you i mean 300 is definitely entertaining i like Uh, 300 a lot um I like Dawn of the Dead as well. And uh, the last one of his that I liked was Watchmen. And like yeah. Watchmen is the precursor to like everything that he's about to fucking yeah. do. Way over stuff, everything. doesn't quite connect. Yes, it's uh, it's bloated, it's way too long. Uh, but I really like the actors in that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I did too. Uh, uh, 
Jackie Earl Haley as mm-hmm. a Rorschach is fucking great. Yeah. And uh, I'm blanking on others, but yeah, I like the cast a lot. Not yeah, a I like Mel and Ackerman a lot in there. Same. Um, Sorry. Okay, keep going with your movies. Okay, I'll keep going with my movies. Yeah. Uh, so just actually following up on a couple of things we talked about last week, because I wanted to watch the good James L. Brooks movies. So I put on Terms of Endearment. Mm-hmm. Buddy, that movie is phenomenal. Jack Nicholson's an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> or i'm sorry retired yeah um i yeah i won't say too much about it but i i love the sort of slice of lifiness of it i the thing that <laughs> me away most is that it doesn't become a cancer movie until the very halfway. end of no it's it's past halfway man it's like it's basically the third act turn it really is like you huh. get a little hint of it here and there yeah it's been a minute since i've seen the movie it really, we don't spend much time with her on the deathbed. And she's fucking phenomenal. Whatever. The cast is great. The writing's incredible. The movie's phenomenal. I really enjoyed basically every minute of it. It's one of those where it's like, oh yeah, that movie's real good. That movie that everybody says is great, turns out it's great. Mm-hmm. The, it's one of probably the best melodramatic movies that are that was made back in the day that still holds up to this day. Yeah, I think so. It's just because it, it does people so well. It really, they feel like human beings in a way that as good as it gets, none but of it those also people... It, it feels of an era. It, uh, like, I don't know. I feel the 80s in that movie for some reason. Yeah, I, well, definitely. The, you know, just the styling of it and the pacing of it lends itself to that for sure. But it also feels timeless to me, but I might just be... A, a, of a certain generation where I'm like, no, that's how people looked at that point, you know, so I can kind of remember <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I really dug it a lot, for sure. And then the last one I'll talk about before we dive into Money Talks is the Dewey Cox story. Oh, good, I was hoping you were going to watch it. I'm cutting half real bad here, Dewey. I'm cutting half real bad, Dewey. That shit is just phenomenal. <laughs> which they the reason that that's so fucking hilarious is because they say it three times in walk hard walk the line no no in and walk, walk the hard in walk the line walk. they say it once yes robert patrick gives that out one time at the concert and you're just like you don't need to say that bro we get calm down and so they just give the exact same line reading three times three through times. that movie. And I, I love it because they'll just have like a whole conversation and then his dad will go and walk out and be like, the wrong, wrong kid, dad! Slam a door. <laughs> oh man, I, it, this is going to turn into Chris Farley show, but it's uh, real, real good. And I'm a huge fan of John C. Riley. I'm a huge fan of that whole cast. I actually really like Jenna Fisher a lot also. I think the, everyone in that movie is hilarious. Yeah. Tim Meadows. Uh, <laughs> uh, you don't want no part of this, do we? This some hardcore shit, dude. You don't want no part of this. The when they're describing weed for the first time, and he's just like, "Yeah, it makes you feel good." No, there's no hangover. No, it's not psychologically addictive or whatever. I think I want to try that. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I learned in the interim that John, uh, Johnny Cash's first wife was a black woman, 
and James Mangold like literally whitewashed that character. Yeah, I didn't know that. I learned very recently and was agog. And do you think James Mangold knew? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> huh, that's a, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, that's uh, a fact of <laughs> life. What he had like a kid, a, one kid with? Yeah. Huh, very interesting. Yep, very interesting and very typical. Typical Hollywood. Typical Hollywood. Yeah, so anyways, Walk Hard, I just laughed the whole way through it and was like, yeah, I would way rather be watching this than Walk the Line. Yeah, it's... I I love the progression of music, too. When he gets (laughs) to, like, the 60s and 70s, he's just experimenting with hallucinogenics and every instrument possible and a goat and just crazy shit well because they're doing the the beach boys thing it's so solid it hits so many of those 60s it's it it's a really accomplished movie i also appreciate the joke that um when he does meet up with the beatles they're just constantly saying like yeah because we're the beatles just to remind everybody we are the beatles i i know we don't look like them but we're the beatles we're the beatles So yeah, that that's most of what I got. Fucking a. Well, shall we talk about money talks? I don't know. Should we? I guess. I didn't know we were getting into a Brett Ratner film. His first movie. Yeah, and it does. Let's start with him and Chris Tucker because I think that's the strongest element of this movie, and you sort of get why there was a whole trilogy after this that really exploits yeah. the dynamic here. Chris Tucker is really funny in this movie. He's a star. Yes. And he had been before, obviously. You know, you love him since Friday. I'm also a really huge fan of Ruby Red. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> good job. Thank you. Thank you. It's super green, Corbin. And he's the main reason to watch this movie. And that's my sort of main note about this. Yeah. Um, my first note. Charlie Sheen is not the best actor. (laughs) (laughs) It's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Charlie Sheen. Okay, let's do a little bit of a a Sheen dive because I don't think I'm a fan, actually. There are movies like I really like the Hot Shots movies. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm trying. There's movies I like that he's in, but I'm trying to think if it's because he's in it. So hold on, let's see. Um, well, Red Dawn is fucking excellent. You can never um, go wrong with Red Dawn. But also, it's not because of him, though. No. And it, to and the be, whole cast, everyone is great in it. Fair enough. To be Sheen-specific, I think his best performance is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Beyond okay. that, what are we talking about here? Um, I mean, Platoon, he is good in. Uh, Wall Street, it's he's good in it but i mean michael douglas steals the show a hundred percent yeah and so does michael sheen like uh sorry martin sheen martin sheen yeah um their their dad yeah Sheen's dad the father and estevez they're estevez's sheen is not their real name i tweeted out the other day my like 
order of Sheen ranking is Emilio. Oh, that's why I did it. You know what? Because uh, I was thinking of Michael Sheen, the British character actor. And so my ranking of Sheen's is (laughs) Emilio, Michael, Martin, Charlie. Nice. You got to have the one in there that's not related to them. Right. Just to point out the fact that none of them are named Sheen. Yes. Um, Yeah. I'm looking at the rest of his uh, uh, IMDb here. I don't know a lot of these. I know a few hot shots, obviously. Navy SEALs. Fucking Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs. Um, I like his. It's kind of like the first one that I think I saw him in. What's the parachute one with Wesley Snipes? Drop zone or dead zone? Deadfall. Dead. Is that right? Is it Deadfall? Might be. That one's a lot of fun. No, no. Deadfall is the Christopher Coppola movie with Nicolas Cage where he goes like berserk. He's like, fucking hangers! (laughs) So a Nicolas Cage movie. (laughs) Yes. Um, Is it? No, that's not it. All right, let, let oh, me... Oh, I don't know. I, I'm do looking at the one with him and Samuel L. Jackson and Emilio. It's, National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. It's Terminal Velocity. There you go. What year was that? 94. 94. So we can get around to that. It's got Natasha Kinski. Also, James Gandolfini is in that movie. A maverick skydiver and a former KGB agent team up to stop the russian mafia from stealing gold hell yeah you're kidding me please tell me charlie sheen is the kgb agent oh no he's definitely like the you know dea guy or fbi dude or (laughs) you know he's going undercover to try and i just thought it would be funny if they tried to make him a part of the soviet government Put on Red Dawn, or no, not Red Dawn, sorry, Red Heat, actually. And But I had a, uh, my copy would not play and was only 20 minutes long, so I was not able to finish the movie. Damn. Uh, you know what's funny is I watched Money Talks on my VHS copy, and I pulled it out and I put it in my rewind uh, machine. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't close and rewind. And I was like, what the fuck? So I put it back into the player, and it said error. So I think I uh, my Money Talks VHS tape is the last time you ever saw Money Talks. I think it might be the last time I need to see it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think people need to see this movie. I got to be honest. I found myself feeling like perfect, but Chris Tucker is hilarious. That's the only reason to watch this movie. He's he's often very funny, and there are a couple of points where i was just like actually chuckling laughing at the things that chris tucker is doing you know genuinely entertained by it he does the whole um the guy's like where's my money he's like what money oh oh, 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 the money like he he knows what money this guy is talking about but he's just playing dumb it's so he's so good at that yeah and he's from frame one when he's at the car wash and he's like taking the, the sports car whatever make or model uh-huh. it is and he brings it back to the guy and he just like the guy's complaining where have you been i've been looking for you <laughs> and he like hugs him and brings him close and like yeah chris tucker is a goddamn star totally i laugh so hard at that moment every time that is a gr- it's that might be the funniest laugh in the whole movie too and it's minute three, so it's minute three, yeah. <laughs> downhill, folks. I've been looking for you. 
<laughs> it, the movie itself is like rote. You know what I mean? It just feels beat by beat, almost lazy plotting, yeah. you know? I feel like we will get into a movie that's slightly similar to this in a few weeks. Uh, nothing to lose. Uh, a movie I enjoy more. Uh, way more. Way funnier. Uh, like with more consistent laughs and I don't know if I'd say better directing off the top of my head because it's been a while since I've seen it, but just a a better story all around. Well, let's let's talk about the rat because um, okay. I just coincidentally put on Rush Hour the other day. I rewatched it too long ago. Yeah, and I'm halfway through the second one. I've just been kind of watching in piecemeal, but the first one I found myself sort of gripped by and was first like legit. First it's, one's a legit movie. Okay, and the direction in this movie is also really solid. The direction is good. The The scale of the thing works. The, the climactic shootout is maybe a little kind of it's 80s holdover. They're at the Coliseum for a long time. That's, so again, I think that's a script problem. Yeah, but I forgot all about that. That, it, that. Their third act is the Coliseum. That's the whole third act there but no now that i'm saying it that's that scene is really well done though because they're bouncing around from like that old guy that's like running the lights in the coliseum to all the bad men running around and then the helicopter uh, pardon me you mean larry hankin who deserves his due yes that was his name what was it again uh the character's name is roland but the actor is larry hankin Roland, where you at? I need you. <laughs> he's just one of those all-time like weirdo character actors. Is he's a good is actor? Billy Madison. Yeah. Yep. He's it is. It sure Billy is. Madison, right? He does like an easily teasing laugh of Brad yeah. Whitford. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It totally is. I also remember him from that Friends episode where he's the guy downstairs that like keeps banging <laughs> on their. He's Mr. Somebody. And then they like find out he died. I have seen a handful of Friends episodes when I was a kid. Wow. I, was never I mean, yeah, it wasn't my thing. Fair. I just, I can't believe that you were raised in America and didn't have friends. I mean, I definitely watched it because I had my mom and my sister who loved it, but it wasn't my kind of show. I'd rather watch Melrose Place. <laughs> Speaking of Heather Locklear. Yep. There we go. Bring it on back. I mean, She's fine, right? She has nothing to do in this movie. No, but honestly, Charlie Sheen doesn't either. Like that whole plot line. That's fair. <laughs> it's an excuse to get them to Paul Sorvino, who is another reason to watch this movie. When Chris Rock and Paul Sorvino are like having breakfast and at the auction, I'm Victor yeah. Moan. Victor Moan. I'm Victor Moan's kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, man, what was I going to... Where is it? So it made a good amount of money. It was made really? for twenty five million and made a forty eight point four. Okay. Little uh, almost half. Yeah, I mean, well, hey, you're positive. You know what I mean. You didn't lose money. You made money on your movie. Good for you. That... And pretty much this allowed him to go do Rush Hour. It's it feels so much like a practice run for Rush Hour. Yeah, it really does, actually. Just a more hard R version. This one? 
yeah, this one, uh, which I also read a random trivia fact that this is one of the last movies Chris Tucker is in where his character cusses because he became a born again Christian. So a part of his contract was that his characters would not have excessive amount of cussing. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Really interesting, right? <laughs> okay. It's crazy to me that because, you know, I'm not a language police kind of person, obviously. So this doesn't feel like there's anything here that would. It's just a, there's a lot of fucks. There's a lot of fucks. Mm. And I'm sure like in rush hour, he says shit a couple times. Ass. Hell. Yeah. You got Chelsea Clinton. That's just MPAA bullshit. I'm not, you know. So this word's not okay, and that word is okay, and you get yeah. one per whatever. Uh, let's see. Here's another fun fact. Written by Joel Cohen. Not really. Yeah, Joel Cohen. <laughs> Joel Cohen, who also wrote Cheaper by the Dozen, Garfield 1 and 2, uh, Toy Story, Evan Almighty, you know, those classic movies. <laughs> but this is like the one where it's like where this guy wrote kids movies he just had like this one r-rated thing he just had to get down on paper i think it's a, a partnership thing right because he also worked with yeah. alex Sokolow is the other yeah. writer on this one who also wrote with him on toy story cheaper by the dozens and garfield and evan almighty who <laughs> 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 good god it, it smacks of uh, how did this thing get developed? Because it really feels like the studio is like, hey, we got a few rising talents. Let's put them well, together. Definitely no. Chris Tucker was signed on immediately to it. And the original director dropped out. And so Chris Tucker went to New Line recommending Brett Ratner okay. because he worked with him on a music video. That totally tracks. Yes. Um, and Antoine Fisher, the uh, famous movie about the, uh, uh, <laughs> the yeah. scuba diver, right? Uh, I mean, he was in. He went to like Annapolis, like the the Navy school. Uh, yeah. Is it Navy school? Yeah. Uh, but he was a like the real Antoine Fisher was a security guard at Sony, and he was like telling people about his life story, like he grew up. Uh, in like foster care never knew his mom and while he was working at Sony he was looking for his mom and all these people were like you should write your story so he wrote his story into Antoine Fisher and he's then became a fucking <laughs> he's now working in Hollywood from security guard at Sony to one of their top writers in the 90s early 2000s okay. man's got a story yep I mean good for him I not sure where that brings us uh, back to Chris Tucker. Uh, well, here you go. Chris Tucker wore a styrofoam hairpiece throughout the whole thing. That's funny because they do often joke about his hair. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. But like the fact that it's styrofoam, that just, I don't know, it sounds so light, but it also feels like you would be sweating your ass off. He is. He's he constantly <laughs> dripping wet in this movie. Which is fair, he's on the run, <laughs> you know, like that first scene 
in the where the cops first catch up with him after the prison break which by the way that's the like the most realistic scene in this movie is where they just are like blasting at the dude's back in the middle of a diner <laughs> with no regard for anything that's happening around them i was like oh nope. no there's there's something being said about the cops here and the, uh now i've got to remember the guy's name but the partner that gets shot towards the end uh-huh uh um, daniel I, roebuck there you go is so aggressive and like gross you know what i mean so the depiction of the cops works but it's a Pretty little fair. out of tone with the movie i don't know hmm i mean honestly you could probably cut those cops out and still have your same movie no you need the cops because it's the lieutenant oh yeah he, that, that one cop is the bad he's part of it he wants the yeah guy that's right forgot about that paul gleason is the inside man on that one there you go paul gleason but that's just it is like you can it the movie feels like you can lift the cops out and it feels like you can lift charlie sheen's and and sheen singular and heather locklear right out of this movie but you can't because they both deliver you to really critical plot points and yet they're not interesting they don't have much to do they're clearly there just to get us to this plot point and so i would rather lift them right out and it goes back there's a at one point towards the end, who is it that calls 911 and gets put on hold? Mm. It doesn't matter. Oh, I, actually, I think it might be uh, Roland. Is it? It might be. Somebody calls the cops and gets put on hold. And I fucking... I just remember him calling the cops outside of the auto auction. And he's like, there's motherfuckers shooting this place up. Yeah. I can't remember anyone else calling the cops. I think it's Roland and I think he's on a payphone in the men's room at the Coliseum, which payphone in the men's room. Okay. Maybe there was one there in the nineties. Have you ever seen a payphone no. inside? What are we? No, I have not. Okay. Anyways, I have personally, I'm not going to get into the story, but I know that things happen where the cops are like, Hey, you got to hold this is a major big city we're overloaded right now mm -hmm. but to see it in a movie is just like bullshit cop out this is whack storytelling dude like fucking uh what's the fincher movie with uh forrest whitaker and jodie foster speaking of yeah. that the climax of that movie relies on she finally gets a call out and the cops are busy i just i don't I hate it. it it's weak ass storytelling. You can find a better crux and it doesn't need to happen in either of the, whatever. If you call 911 and the line is busy, your movie is bad. Full stop. Yeah, because the line's never busy. No, it is. It happens. It's one of It'll those be. things that it, yeah, it, it does happen. You know what I mean? Particularly if there's like something, a, a disaster in the area for sure. But even mm -hmm. if it's just like a hot day in Los Angeles or New York or Houston where there are millions of people and lots of crimes being committed, it does happen that you will call 911 and be put on hold. It's unfortunate, but it does happen. I'm reminded of this story that I had one of my uh, instructors in film school who was more of a visual artist, cinematographer guy, but also director. He came from an art history background and he would tell this story about when uh, 
Monet and the guy who cut his ear off, who was another artist. Van Gogh. Thank you, thank you. Sorry, Van Gogh, right, right, right. Anyways, uh, these guys are living together and they're painting together and they're having a good time. And one day, one or the other of them runs home and is like, oh my God, look at this painting that I just painted. Can you believe the iridescence of the yellows off of the whatever, whatever? And they're just agog over the color space of this thing. And then one of them points into the corner of the sky and goes, well, what's that? And the other dude goes, oh, it's a cloud. And Monet's like, but it's square. And Van Gogh's like, well, yeah, there was a square cloud in the sky. And Monet can't get over it. He's like, but clouds aren't square. I've never seen a square cloud before. What, why would you paint that? And Van Gogh's like, because that's what it looked like. This, this cloud was a square. So it became a part of my lexicon where it was like, that's a square cloud. It's too real. People are not going to believe that. It doesn't matter if that's the thing that actually happened. You can't mm -hmm. sell that to audiences. And so the, the 911 being busy is a square cloud. It just is like, what the fuck are you doing here? That's bad artistry. I got you. And there's plenty of movies that use that trope. I wish we need to retire that one, man. It hasn't been done in a while. Not At since least. Fincher. Not since Panic Room, 2002-ish. <laughs> Which I like most of Panic Room. It's a, but it's like a B movie. It's so weird because Fincher, I don't know. It, it was like a step, not a step, I guess it could be a step back. But uh, he, it's like a campy B movie about a mother and daughter trapped in a panic room while these guys break into their house. That doesn't feel like a normal type of Fincher movie. And it definitely doesn't feel like it either while watching it. It's got a, it's heavy CGI. There's a lot of like coming in and out of the floors. Very technical making of that is very interesting to watch actually. I remember being gripped by it and really liking it. And it, it just totally breaking me at that point. You know, and I, I've been back to it once since then, but not in a long time. And I'm, we're going to get to Fincher over on filmography because James is a fan mm -hmm. and I am not. I, Whoa. no, I'm not, man. Oh, I, I love him. I really, I have a fondness for Fight Club and I will still defend it in sort of the way that I defend American Beauty where it's like, well, yeah, just because it's become an icon of everything that's wrong with America doesn't mean that it's not worth depicting and it's timely in its depiction of these things. That's valuable. So I really like Fight Club a lot. Um, Zodiac though? You don't like Zodiac? I, I do like Zodiac, but I don't that like it as much that. as everybody else seems to. I do like it a lot though. Seven, you don't like seven? We're going to get the game in a few weeks. We have the game on the list, which I actually just rewatched it. Okay, so I love the game. And that speaks to your point, which is like when Fincher is doing B movies, I am on board. When he's trying to go big and deep, I just don't think he has it. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. And I think he lucked into Zodiac because well, it's not his... You also like B-campy movies a lot. Absolutely. That's fair. That's fair. You do a lot. No, that's fair. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're my favorite movies by a long margin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all right. I'll just shut up then because I like B-movies. <laughs> well, those are all the notes I have for Money Talks. 
Yeah, I only have a couple other things here. Uh, let's see. Was this the sort of pop culture breakthrough for Pretty Hot and Tempting? Uh, right, fat. Um, honestly, I want to say so, but I have no idea. I can't imagine that. Uh, I mean, obviously, they, they didn't invent it for this movie, but <laughs> yeah, no way. that feels like right in time, you know, in middle school where we started calling each other, uh -huh. no, nah, Pretty Hot and Tempting. And then, it's like Chris Tucker had heard it and then like told Brett Ratner, he's like, oh, I should call Heather Locklear fat. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's funny. Have you ever seen Fat Beach? With Coolio? Yeah, buddy. What the fuck? <laughs> Me and my buddy rented that as a joke in fucking high school. And was it even high school? Uh, whatever. We rented it as a joke and fucking ended up turning it off. It's no good. I think it was a movie that I rented, uh, not in high school, but like more in like grade school and middle school because there was nudity in that movie uh -huh. and plenty of it, but it, the cover doesn't necessarily indicate that. And so Their my, head kind of like peeking in. Right? Yeah. It's just them. Like, yeah, exactly. They're on either side of the screen or the, you know, the cover. And then there's uh, somebody laying on the beach. Oh, there's the beach. some ladies. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Oh my God. <laughs> so I've seen Fat Beach a few times, but mostly for boobies. For boobies. <laughs> but uh, it was right around that time where fat became the thing. And uh, actually speaking of- Fat Beach. Boy, sorry, what's that? I think we might have to do Fat Beach. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> the, uh, but Chris Tucker saying these things is it speaks to his star star power and it's so evocative because we just ran around saying pretty hot and tempting for a year after this movie came out and I don't really even remember seeing this movie but when but, he is ho holding up the diamonds and he's like what I got what you want or is this what you want uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, can you help me? What is the track that sampled that? Because it's ringing in my ears, uh, but I can't is hear the, Is this what you want? And then there's a drop. I can't, I just can't get there. And I spent a little time, a little Googling, the, whatever that website is that tracks samples, only has a, a track from more recently from Logic, which I, I'm a Logic fan for sure, but it's not the track that I was looking for. There's something. Is this what you want? Ah, it's driving me uh, nuts, yeah, I know, man. I don't know. Like it, that line rings so clear in my head because just the way he enunci uh, enunciates it. But I'm not sure if I've heard it in a rap song. I maybe I'm inventing something. But wait, I, hold on. It's not the Michael Jackson thing. I watched that whole video. Did earlier. you look at Lil Kim? No. <laughs> What do you got? It's on the Money Talk soundtrack. So hold on, let me see. Maybe that's it. No. Nope. There's no sample in the beginning of it. Alize and vodka, lots of parada. <laughs> Alize and vodka, lots of parada. Okay. Um, yeah, I couldn't land it. I went down a rabbit hole of watching like. Yeah, there's also a Mace song that has some Chris Tucker. To believe it or not, Chris Tucker was popular in hip hop videos from the 90s. 
So I went through a bunch of them, but I could not find what I was looking for. And, and maybe I just invented it. Um, okay, two more maybe. quick notes, which is that I, I really love at the end when the arms dealers show back up and like start launching rockets around. Uh-huh. But the dude asks, oh, um, is that Phazon? Phazon Love in the beginning. Oh, right, right, right. The shirtless the dude. Tone, which was, uh, apparently, that scene was, uh, they didn't like the way it was written in the script. And Phazon was just visiting Chris Tucker on set. And uh, Brett Ratner just saw them talking and thought it was so funny. He's like, why don't you guys, uh, like the original scene was like some guy chasing Chris Tucker around the cell trying to get at him. But this one was just so simple of them just sitting there talking and Faison just like puts his hand on his leg and he'll move his hand. <laughs> that seems very funny as well. They get pretty close. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, anyways, whoever it is who's assisting the arms dealer in the end, but they share the sucker where he's like, here, hold this. And the dude's like, yeah, I got you. And then just puts the sucker in his mouth. Uh-huh. Yeah. I found that adorable. adorable. Yeah, I love it. I, I think about that actually quite a bit and how cool he looks when he just fucking and he like puts it in the side of his mouth yeah. i love it i think it looks so cool it does <laughs> no that's a cool move man and it's so intimate i just i love it so much mm -hmm. the last thing i have it actually it is a direction note uh the gun effects the sound effects and like the damage that the guns do and maybe it's just a 90s thing but like at one point there's a guy shooting an Uzi from across the stadium and managing to land shots that not only are accurate, but are like destroying chunks of concrete. And I'm just like, that's not how that weapon works. Oh. What? And the sounds are always way too powerful for the gun that's being fired. It was baffling to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? That's probably a 90s thing. Well, First time director too. That's what we're here to do is celebrate the 90s things. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, that's Money Talks, folks. <laughs>